one. Okay. Welcome to the Simplest Complex Podcast. I'm your host, Soaring Hummingbird. Uh, if you want to join me in the kingdom of paradise, you must answer these three prerequisite questions before a dialogue can exist. These questions are simple, but protect the complexities of the individual. Are you ready to answer the Trinity? Are you free? Are you open? Are you ready to talk about us instead of we and I? Uh, the purpose of these questions is to extract a person's two unique perspectives and to allow the physical and mental to become one profound truth and unity with everyone else's profound truth. So there's the physical perspective and then there's the mental perspective and once in unison, then a profound truth can occur. So now I'm gonna ask you once more, Jackie. Are you free? Yes. Are you open? Yes. And are you ready to talk about us instead of we and I? Yes. Now tell me what your profound truth is and what are your two unique perspectives that you are projecting onto the kingdom of paradise? Wow, that was so deep. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> it's the whole purpose. <laughs> um, well, I guess I'll, you know, one thing that, that has been like my, my truth or my purpose thus far mm -hmm. is my books and yes. my writing. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I published two books a few years back and since then that's really been like the foundation of of really who i am you know a lot of people meet me and that's the first thing that you know i let them know like oh yeah i published books and they're like what you're an author <laughs> how you know so yeah i think that's my that's my foundation and really when i ran with it it was more of like the purpose that that was behind it mm. you know i really wanted to connect with people on a deeper level and I wanted to do it through literature. Through literature, okay. Um, so I know you, uh, you want me to call you Jackie as a personal friend, but I also know as an author, you go by Jacqueline. Why I is that? Jacqueline. Uh, I just feel like Jacqueline is just so sophisticated. You know, it's just, yeah, it's, um, there's actually a story behind my name. Mm, um, my mom told me that, that when I was born, my name up until you know, I was born was supposed to be Brandy, which I don't think it fits me very well. <laughs> but she said that um, my grandmother, my great grandmother uh, mm -hmm. came into the room and told her that she had to name me Jacqueline because I was going to be a grand woman and I was going to follow in the same steps of Jackie O. Jackie O. Yeah, that I was going to be very powerful. It's um, Kennedy's wife. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Tell, tell me a little bit more about that. Um, how that's related to you, how you are embodying Jacqueline O. It's Jacqueline O. <laughs> well, at first, I mean, when she told me when I was younger, I thought it was just, um, I just thought it was a cute story, you know. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, that's a cute story. But now with everything that I've done as far as like publishing my books and, mm -hmm. you know, just my goals of continuing to strive for better, I'm like, wow, like maybe my great grandma was onto something. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. maybe I was supposed to hold some sort of um like this divine power of who i am and what i can offer you know the world the divine power what is what is divine power to you divine power like if you know if i was telling somebody oh you have such a, a divine power it's like you cross this person's path and it's like mm -hmm. they came into your life for a purpose it's not just mm -hmm. a an empty vessel or a place to to just um what's mm -hmm. the word to just be like, yeah you know like you know those people that are just there that yeah in your life you know what i mean yeah. and then there's other people who 
who are taking up that space, but it's, re it's really like you want them to be taking up their space. You know, they serve a purpose to you and your growth as an individual, uh, whether it be as a friend or a partner or, you know, even family members. Yeah, I, I definitely, I relate to that very much so. I feel uh, that people do enter your life for a purpose. Uh, that purpose is to help you grow and to help grow the seeds that your, our parents uh, planted onto us at birth, I feel like. I feel like our parents have these expectations and they project those truths onto us. But again, we have to be individuals. And I feel like your writing is your individual self, you know? It's your, your Jackie and the Jacqueline, you know? Yeah. Um, so tell me a little bit more about your books. Like, I'm, what have you published and what it means to you, like, those two books, since you're two books. Okay, so um, my, first, my first book was published back in 2017. 2017. Uh, yeah, they're both poetry books. Mm. Uh, the first one was just a collection of poetry. I was going through a really um, rough time, you know, my, like I was experiencing, I was going through grief. I was going through like, you know, the motions of life of trying to find my, myself as I was only 19 at the time. So I was really going through that developmental stage of trying to find my purpose in this world. Yeah. I mean, 19 is not easy. I remember being 19 and <laughs> making a lot of dumb mistakes. That oh yeah. You make a lot of stupid mistakes at that age. <laughs> like you're still, I'm still paying for it now, you know, like literally paying um, money. Same. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I feel like we, we make mistakes at young ages to help us grow as individuals. And how does that translate into your poetry? Like what, what is your poetry? So that first book, it was just a collection of poems because since I was going through all of that, it was, I was trying to find like a, a scapegoat, you know, I was trying to numb. What is all that? Oh, like, a, like the grief and the, you know, trying to find myself and. Well, what's the grief? Like what, what were you trying to find? What were you trying to heal? So at that time, my, my grandpa had just passed away mm -hmm. and we were really close. Yeah. He was like a second dad to me. Mm -hmm. um so it caused a lot of it was a huge impact and it, it took a huge I took a huge hit from it um <clears throat> so I was trying to manage that not really heal I remember then I wasn't really like the goal wasn't to heal it was just more of like trying to find ways to numb it numb. you know yeah like to numb the pain to numb you know what I was feeling to really why did you want to numb like why why did you feel like you needed to numb yourself to heal I feel like that really goes back to a person's emotional intelligence. And then I didn't really have any, you know, I was only 19. And okay. I think for a lot of people in those stages of 18, 19, 20, even maybe their early twenties, they just choose to numb, you know, they choose to close up and to really just forget what they're going through rather than face it. So how, was your writing and your poetry a way to counteract that numbingness that you put onto yourself? Like? Yeah, it, it was a way of like, when I did have those moments of feeling, mm -hmm. you know, when I was, you know, I had these moments of just feeling everything at once, I would just write. Just write. Because, yeah, you know, because I had gone, you know, numbing myself for so long, that when I did get those little, it was like a spurt of like emotion, I wanted to hold on to it as much as I could. Like, okay. And what was the first poetry book that you published? So my my first one it's called tragically beautiful tragically beautiful 
Okay, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> Why was it tragically beautiful though? So I came up with that title because um, I feel like that's life in a nutshell. It's tragically beautiful. You know, it's life is beautiful and it has so much to offer you. You know, you there's so many places in this world for you to see. You can fall in love a million times if you choose to. You know, you meet all these different people that impact you and you experience life. But all in the same time of all of that, it's so tragic. You know, it's like you're having the time of your life and anything could really happen that just makes you go through like this moment of tragedy. And I feel like that really goes back to the fact of if there's good, there's bad. You know, you have to have it. It's like the, it's the balance of life. Duality of it all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, What was the title of your second poetry book? The second one is called Fluctuate. Fluctuate. Okay. Why fluctuate? What was fluctuate? So so when I wrote that one, Uh um, I was going, the goal was to heal. You know, Mm -hmm. whereas the first one, it wasn't really the goal. Mm -hmm. Um, The second one was, you know, I was already in this stage of healing. I was in this stage of trying to become better, a better version of myself, you know, invest in myself spiritually, emotionally, mentally. And during that time, I felt like I was just fluctuating. You know, I felt like I was just this roller coaster of, you know, one day I would take 10 steps forward and the next day I was relapsing 20 steps. What what do you you mean relapsing? Just like like the emotions of it. Like I would take these 10 steps of growth and then I felt like I was taking 20 steps back and I felt like those feelings of depression, of anxiety, of, you know. How do you define growth then? Like what, how how did you see growth? Then or now? Both. Let's. Okay. So then I saw growth as, you know, being able to sit and, look back at a certain circumstance or a certain situation or a certain feeling and not feel what you were feeling then it's more of like a reflection versus you know actually sitting there with it and to me that was that was growth you were learning how to be in the present yeah exactly and what is growth now and growth now i i feel like it's a mixture of that but i have more of like a sense of of that reflection, you know, it's more of now when I feel like I'm growing, it's, I can sit back and I can think and I can say, okay, like I reflect on it and I can also make like responsible, cautious decisions Mm. that will benefit me rather than jeopardize, you know, anything that that's really happening in my life. Hmm. Like what moments, so you talked about your grandfather, um, as a pinnacle moment of you growing, and that's how I perceive it. Um, what other moments in your life have been pinnacle moments or, you know, life-changing for you? I feel like I've had so many of those. I feel like I've lived nine lives. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I've, been, I've lived a million lives already. Um, I would have to say one of them was also the acceptance of my sister's death. That was like a huge pinnacle um, growth for me, you know, when I was able to to finally sit back with that and not let it completely control mm-hmm. you know, my life and my thoughts and just who I was as a person. You know, that, that was a huge one for me as well. Um, and I think just in general, just like little 
little things that were happening, you know, failed relationships, failed friendships, mm-hmm. um, you know, when you're just going through the motions of, mm-hmm. of learning how to be an adult and it's those little mishappenings of, oh, like, how do I fix this? You know, yeah. <laughs> not really depending on, on your parents anymore. And it's like just a detachment of, of being who you were before and just trying to live into this new, this new person, this adult, you know. So that society I, says you should be. <laughs> yeah, I see. I see your fluctuation for sure. Um, I see the tragedy and the beauty um, that you're. You definitely. So, do you have your books? Um, like, have you, like, or do you just have like just put it out to the world, or, or do you hold it close to your heart in a physical copy? So I actually never bought my own copies. Wow. I just put them out there. Yeah, everybody always tells me like, why didn't you? Because I mean, I have books from. I have like a whole bookshelf, you know, so people would expect me to to have my own books, but I never did. I mean, I have them on my laptop, you know, like the copy of before I published it. And I feel like that means more to me than the actual like physical copy. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's your, it's your soul. And I think it's, uh, even if it's not, you can't hold it, you can still see it. And I feel like that's more important to you. Um, that you can perceive it the way you want to perceive it and not the way the world has physically given it to you. Exactly. Wow. Okay. That's, that's a little deep right there. (laughs) Wow. Just a little, huh? (laughs) That's definitely tragically beautiful to think about that an author wouldn't have their own book, but still has it. It's this, this, this duality that you're, you're in. Wow. Okay. So you were talking a little about your sister. Tell me, I mean, of course, you could just go at your own pace, um, but I feel like that has shaped you and it is you. Yeah, yeah, it really did. It did shape me. Um, and it's something that I look back at now. And I think even now, you know, with those deaths, with grief, I don't really see them as like this negative connotation. I feel like a lot of times you talk about grief mm-hmm. and suddenly people just think negative about it you know they I mean of course you know they it just has this negative effect behind it of you know the depression the anxiety the terrible times you know but really you know even though I see all of that I also see the good in it you know and I see the growth and I see um just the how much it has impacted my life and I think through that it now as an adult and who I am now, it's really helped me be more appreciative of the people in my life. And it's really helped me, you know, be very picky. And I invest a lot in the people around me. And I take the time to go out of my way, you know, just to show any little bit of, hey, you know what, I appreciate you. I love you. I'm grateful for you. And I feel like if it wasn't for those moments of grief, those moments of feeling loss of two people that that I, you know, I held so close to my heart, I wouldn't be so appreciative. Yeah, how, how did you come to accept death, though? Like, that's, you said you accepted your sister's death. How, how long did it take you to accept it? It took me at least 10 years. 10 years? 10 years, yeah. She uh, passed away when we were younger. So I was nine and she was seven. And, you know, from the time I was nine up until I was maybe 12, I didn't really think about it much because, 
you know, during that time, it's easy to just tell a kid like, oh, she's in a better place. Mm-hmm. You know, she's in heaven. She's fine. You know, so I didn't really take much thought into it. And it wasn't until I became a teenager that I was like, wait, like I lost my sister, you know? Yeah. And then I started feeling everything that comes with that. And from the time I was 13 up until I was about 20, I was just really going through the motions of it, you know, and I, my mom would take me like to therapy. And I mean, it was this huge baggage that I carried around with me. And it was something that I told myself that I'd never be able to accept. Mm. Um, And then once I hit, you know, 20, like 19, 20 ish, those years, um, I started really working towards the healing and the accepting of it. And one thing I would do, and I always sound so crazy saying this, is I would go and I would sit with her, you know, every Saturday morning. And I would, like, have, you know, a cup of coffee, and I would just talk to her as if she was there. And in the weirdest way, it actually helped me heal a lot. You know, being able to sit there and talk to somebody who physically was not there. And not seeing, you know, not being able to connect the way you would with somebody who is physically there you know not being able to see the eye contact or the expression or the body language it was just more so like I'm gonna talk and I know that you're listening yeah so I wow that was a lot of moments of vulnerability I I thank you uh for you being vulnerable with me uh and to the podcast um and to the audience whoever is going to be watching this um because that's, that is tough, um, coming to the acceptance of death, and especially one of a sibling. I fortunately have, fortunately and unfortunately, have not had that experience. I, uh, and I'll give you some vulnerability just to kind of even the playing field a little bit. <laughs> um, so I grew up not knowing my biological father, and I have three younger sisters. Um, they don't know I exist. Um, and so that was always kind of a weird battle. Um, and when I was growing up, kind of similar to you, um, you know, the adults would always kind of tell me, oh, it's just a sperm donor. Like, why would you even care? You know, kind of things. And it was my baggage. It was my luggage that I carried around. And I don't, didn't think I would ever get over it. Um, and nothing, they still don't know I exist to this day. Um, but I've come to accept that, you know, things are meant to happen and things are also not meant to happen. Um, so that's kind of my little form of vulnerability to you. Just so it kind of evens out the playing field and that you're not just giving all your energy to me and to this podcast. Appreciate that. Yeah. Um, so how did you learn to accept and when did you know you accepted death? Uh, I was still, you know, I was at this point where I was healing and, and I knew I was, you know, mm-hmm. I, I knew I was, but, you know, I don't know if, you know, for you or anybody who is listening, um, I go through these, like, I, I know I'm hitting this certain point of growth mm-hmm. and it's kind of like, I just need a little push, you know, I feel like this little atom just kind of stuck, just sitting there like, and I'm like, oh my God, I need to break out of this you know, and that's where I was, I was really there, you know, and I was kind of just sitting there, bouncing off the wall, waiting for this, 
this growth, you know, I knew it was waiting for me. Yeah. And I think uh, I really hit that when I started working in the medical field and I started working at a hospital, you know, and at a hospital, you see life and death. It really is a symbol of duality. You know, you walk into the nursery and you see all these babies and you see life, you know, being born, you see life coming into this world, literally. Wow. Yeah. You know, and then you walk into ICU or you walk into a trauma bay and you just see life ended and all in, you know, a span of two, three hours, you know, I was seeing this and that's when it really hit me. You know, it hit me that without death, there is no life. You know, and then if you're really going to live, like, there is a point where we're all going to get there. And it's just the the yin and the yang of life. Yeah, you know? for sure. I definitely believe in the yin and yang. I, um, you know, I, I like the way you put it. Without death, there's no life. And I feel like everyone's stuck in because there's life, there's death. Um, and that mindset for some is healthy. Um, but for people like us, I feel like we've had to come to terms with suffering. And when all you know is suffering, how can you even know the good? Like, that's, that's how I see it. And because you suffered so much in or your primitive years, your adolescence, um, you didn't know anything but to be numb. I think that's why you numbed yourself or at least this is how I've, I'm taking it again. This is, might be your lie and just my, just my <laughs> truth, you know, um, how I perceive it. Again, my perspective is different from yours. Um, that, cause I know I used to numb myself um, because all I knew was suffering. And that was my only way of coping because I didn't know anything else. So like, what would you tell the audience if they're going through suffering and they're going through this numbing pain? Like, how do you move forward and how do you have your breakthrough and how do you know that you're on the right path? Um, so I guess, you know, my, my piece of advice, my insight on that is um, why I truly believe that we shouldn't have to suffer. You know, I truly believe that humans should not have to suffer. Uh, as far as like experiences, like bad experiences, I do believe that they're inevitable. Mm -hmm. You know, and I know that there's going to be a lot of times, you know, if we, if we really like look into the science base of it, psychologically speaking, a lot of what we go through is just the developmental process. Okay. You know, if you look into, um, I don't know if you read like on psychology books or I, I, I've known I've touch on it here and there, right? Travel, you know. <laughs> um, <clears throat> one of my favorite psychologists to, to really look into is Erickson and his theory of that we all have to hit a certain stage in order to get to like our, our place of being content, of being happy. So I do believe that it is in our psychological makeup to go through these emotions, mm -hmm. to go through these stages of not knowing where you want to be, mm -hmm. um, trying to find your place in this world, you know, and it's really like you're having to pull apart, you know, you're having to learn to be one person, you know, like, for example, when you're a young kid and you have your parents help you throughout those stages and then you hit a certain age and it's really a battle between learning to not be so dependent, mm 
you know, learning to do things on your own. And I feel like life is a constant battle like that. You know, you're constantly battling yourself of, well, this is who I was before. And these are my tendencies. These are my habits. These are my patterns. But this is the person I want to become. And it's this constant battle of learning to, okay, I can't do that. I have to step into this. You know, I have to do these habits. I have to adopt these patterns that are going to push me towards a better person. You know, so I really feel that like if you're going through these stages and you're going through like those waves, that that fluctuation, you know, of life and, you know, the dualities of it, you know, life and death and, you know, all of those inevitable assets in life. I feel like really it's being able to sit with those things, accept them for what they are and being able to still move forward with it. You know, and I feel like a lot of times people feel that when you're going through a hard time, you have to stay there. It's kind of like you're in quicksand and your feet are just kind of planted there, you know, and there's no other way to go. But really, it's like you're going through this, but you can still push forward. You can still pick up the bag and you can still keep going and still deal with it while you're moving forward. So obviously, mental health is very important to you. That's what it sounds like. (laughs) Um, from what I kind of just took from it, like I, I, I agree with almost everything you said. And the only place I have one disagreement is the suffering part. I feel like without suffering, there's no happiness. And once there's unison in that duality, then there's peace. Without the other, the other can't exist. And once you've suffered and you found your happiness and then then you combine those two things and you're finally at peace. I feel like that's just what life is, is living in duality so you can live in unison almost. Um, but the, again, this is my truth. And again, might be your life. Right, right. <laughs> um, this is how I cope with things um, and how I'm going to go through life. But again, everyone, including the audience, this might be total mumbo jumbo. Um, what do we know, right? <laughs> yeah, know, you know, we, we're just human beings living on earth. And that's the only fact that we know for a fact. I mean, is spirituality a real thing? I don't know, because I, it's, it is real for some people, so it must be real. Uh, there's atheists um, who believe just science is a thing. So who am I to tell them that science doesn't exist? You know, I, all I know is there's just facts out there. Um, but go down the path of the mental health. Like, what about mental health are you so intrigued by? I think uh, I'm just so intrigued by it because I invest in myself mentally so much. Yeah. You know, a lot of my energy does go into my mental health. You know, I, the way I, I run my life is sometimes it feels like it's going 90 miles an hour you know, with school and work and, you know, learning to really balance myself between giving my time and energy to my family, my time and energy to my friends, you know, and in the midst of all that, I still find some sort of way to give time to myself, you know, and I feel like that's so important. Yeah. And a lot of times people don't realize that that life is a balance, you know, and if you're going to invest and you're going to give 110% to your family on Saturday, and the next day on Sunday, you're going to give your 110% to your friends. Then Monday morning, at least take an hour for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I you know what I mean? And just like re-energize, recollect yourself and just, you know, sit with yourself and 
and just let yourself, you know, reflect. I mean, even it doesn't have to be a bad reflect of like, you know, this deep reflection of, oh my God, who am I? But just reflect on the weekend and reflect on the people in your life, the quality time that you spent with them. You know, even that's a form of, of taking care of yourself. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's really important to reflect. I mean, I feel like everyone is scared to reflect because I feel like they think they're always in the wrong and or not willing to accept the realities that are their truth. Um, yeah, you're, you're 100% right. What kind of advice would you give, though? Like, how do you start investing in yourself mentally? I feel like it starts with at least for me, I, c- I could be wrong, right? Yeah. I could be <laughs> what do we know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But no, um, nothing. At least for, for me, when I started, you know, because at some point I was like a yes man. You know, I never, mm-hmm. I never said no to anybody. I always invested in everybody else. I gave my energy to everyone else. You know, somebody could call me and be like, hey, let's hang out. And even though I didn't want to, I'd never say no. Mm. I thought, oh, okay, fine. I have some free time, you know? And me learning to invest in myself started with small little reminders or small little affirmations of reminding myself like, hey, like you're important too. And it took even as much as me waking up and making my cup of coffee, sitting outside for 10 minutes. You know, that's literally how it started, you know, and just those 10 minutes were for me. Nobody else was in my space. Nobody else was drinking coffee with me. You know, the room or my porch wasn't filled with conversation. It was just me and my coffee. And, you know, yeah, you know, and at the beginning, it wasn't really like reflection because you're right. A lot of people do, you know, they're afraid of reflection. And I think, you know, at some point in my life, I was afraid of that. I was afraid of sitting with myself and in those 10 minutes, it wasn't necessarily me reflecting. It was just me sitting in silence, mm. enjoying my cup of coffee, being present, you know, learning to be present in that moment and not really have anything in my mind, except it's just me and my coffee. <laughs> just you're learning to be present with just you and your coffee. I yeah. love that. That's, that's profound right there. Um, and in a very cliche way, but again, cliches, exists because I feel like everyone goes through the similar things. Um, I actually started doing that too. I think my morning coffee ritual is the most important thing of my day. Like if you, excuse my language real fast, if you fuck that up, (laughs) everything fucks that up. I mean, my day is like almost ruined. It takes a lot of energy to regain that moment of peace and silence. And again, I feel like people just don't want to sit with their silence. You know, because silence does speak, you know, it's like, that's where you project yourself, you know, instead of projecting yourself on someone else's talking or their, their, their selves, you know, when you're talking to friends, if like, especially your best friends, let's talk about your, your best friends. I feel like your best friends are just different parts of you. And that's why you connect with them. Um, I know I have two really good friends because one of them, he kind of speaks my profoundness, my intellectual side, my spirituality as well. And then my other best friend, it just kind of speaks that fighter in me. You know, I think that's why I get along with him so well is because he is a happy-go-lucky fighter. 
you know, he does MMA. So I feel like your friends are super important because who you surround yourself with is who you become because that's part of you. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Exactly. One of my favorite things to say is show me who you surround yourself with and you'll tell me who you are. And, and I feel like that's, you know, the people that we surround ourselves with. I think sometimes people forget what an impact they actually make, you know, and we can be so influenced by the people who surround us. And if they're not there to help you grow or, you know, light those different parts of yourself that you're saying or really bring out those parts of yourself, like I was saying before, it's just kind of they're just there, you know, not really doing much of anything. They're just right there. And, you know, I think for me, my closest friends, they bring out different sides of me as well. You know, my my closest friend, she brings out like that, that inspirational writer. You know, we can yeah. sit there and just have like these massive long talks. And after I talk to her, I always feel so, so at peace. You know, I feel so inspired. I feel like, wow, like my, my soul feels light. You know, it's not really heavy. It's very effortless. The friendship, it doesn't take much of like, of us investing too much energy into each other. We're just there with each other, you know, present. Yeah. You, you know, I, I agree with that. I think I definitely have friends like that that bring out the inspirational side of me. But, you know, like why, have you ever had those friends that you just know, like, man, they're just up to no good, but I just can't stop hanging out with them? Oh, yeah, I've been there. <laughs> yeah. Like, what is it about that? Like, is that part of the, the healing process of becoming one with yourself is that you have to see that manifestation of yourself what do you think i think so i think a a part of it is that i think another huge part of it is that we live in a society you know like in this culture where things like that are idolized you know people who at least for me you know i I don't really like i'm not much of much of like the party goer so i'm not big on like the party scene but i know like for a long time i was part of it but because it was so idolized because it, you know, that's where everybody was. And I feel like at some point in our lives, like we don't really know who we are. Mm-hmm. So we're just kind of like going with the flow of it, you know, and you kind of just tell yourself like, oh, okay, well maybe this is me, but you know, you have to take a step back and be like, well, is this really you? Like, are you really having fun? And that's what I had to do. You know, I was going through the motions of it and I was partying every weekend, every other weekend, you know, having it. I mean, those were like the, exhausting right like it's exhausting i mean great times to look back and be like oh my god like yeah did i really do that you know like yeah yeah did i I really take that many shots and my body was capable of doing it you know because now i could never now i I know like like two shots and you're like "Mm, i'm gonna feel this a little bit in the morning now right like two shots and the next morning i have like a headache going on i'm like oh man like when I was 18, like, audience, of course, you're not supposed to drink at 18. <laughs> uh, but, you know, coming from Mexican household, uh, 18 was kind of a freaking normal. Um, 18, you were able to just chug, chug, chug. And I feel like now, like, yeah, I have one glass of wine or uh, a couple beers and or two shots. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to feel this in the morning. Was it worth it? Was it worth it? Exactly. You know, so I feel like it is part of 
you know, we all kind of go through that stage or, you know, for other people, it's different stages, not necessarily like partying, but it's just, you know, we have to go through that to really know if that's who we are, at least for me, you know, I did take a step back and I did tell myself like, is this really you? Like, are you really having fun? Are you just, are you just here? Cause your friends are here. Yeah. You know? So let's take a second and step back from what this conversation was and just take five seconds just to be in a silence. Okay. Ready? Mm -hmm. What have you learned about yourself in this half an hour? That's a good question. Um, what have I learned about? I've learned that I've become more open. More open. More open. Yeah. And I think it was at the beginning when you were saying, like, are you free? Are you open? Are you ready to talk about us? Us instead of we and I. And I. Yeah. You know, and we when you were. Every once in a while. You know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you were like going, you know, saying that and I was listening and I was really taking it in it made me realize that this far in my life, I've, I've come in a, I've come a really long way as far as being open, you know, and it's not necessarily like being open to an extreme, but being open enough to let, you know, to let people in, you know, not numb, you know, how we're talking about like numbing and putting up those barriers. It's more like I'm open now, spiritually, emotionally, and mentally. And I know how to keep that balance of you know being open and learning when to like kind of not close off but kind of like put myself away and listen to other people be open you know for sure i mean now that you've come to this realization what are you going to project on what i call the kingdom of paradise i feel like we are in paradise um it's just how we perceive it i think we when we're suffering we perceive paradise as hell and when we're happy, we see it as parad- as just happiness. So what, what are your two truths now? Uh, what is that tragically beautiful? And what is that fluctuation now? Mm-hmm. Oh, these are such good questions. <laughs> <laughs> take a second. It's okay to take a second and five seconds just to sit with it. My true truth. I think uh, one of my my truths would be really strengthening that openness. Mm. I feel like it would really help me as a professional, as Mm. an individual, as a friend, as a daughter, as a future partner, you know, being open and being able to share my thoughts without feeling like I shouldn't, you know, being able to share my, what I'm feeling and not feel bad for it. You know, being able to project, you know, all these things we talked about, you know, life and death and grief and be able to touch on things that so many people are so afraid to touch on. Yeah, sure. You know, and I feel like it's really going to help me in so many aspects of my life. Well, Jackie and Jacqueline, I'm speaking to to two. (laughs) Um, You are now welcome in the kingdom of paradise. Um, And I feel like we're getting to this point of conclusion So I just want to tell you, go in peace now. And are you willing to accept that peace? I am. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining me on Simple is Complex. Thank you for having me. 
And uh, I hope to have you again once everything kind of starts going a little bit further. Thank you of for course. I would love, I would love to. Yeah. Well, to the audience, go in peace and uh, enjoy the kingdom of paradise.